Welcome to Article 23, your podcast all about making work work. And here we are, cannot believe it, in the middle of February. I know. How fast is it? It's fast. It's fast. We want to start before we get into the podcast today by acknowledging the land that we're on. Uh, we're coming from Gadigal land, part of the Eora Nation, and we'd like to acknowledge and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, um, and give our gratitude for the care of this land over thousands of years. I'm James Hancock, and you would have heard a little birdie there in Rhonda Brighton Hall. How are you? <laughs> good, good thing. I haven't caught that, so that's cool. Just that I try something new. I don't and know. Let's see where you works, get next time. It works. It's a very important Lovely birdie. to be here. Awesome. Thanks, Rhonda. Thanks for being here. I'm excited for the topics we've got ahead of us today. Uh, as always, two from the world of work uh, that we've read about, seen, observed in our work, and also a good news story. Yeah. Awesome. So... For the world of work, we're going to cover shift workers having multiple jobs higher than they have for 25 years. Yes. Topic one. Bit of a like fact one, but also something we've been seeing, so we'll get to that. Yep. Observations from our work. We've seen these tension points playing out, and we put them on um, four key spectrums. It's not sort of a full diagnostic, but it's a pretty cool way to map where people are in an org and sort of discuss it and where they're at and what they could do a bit better. Yeah. And tension points are great. Yep. Create a lot of energy and terrible break culture. So that's right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Love that. Um, and the good news is about Sarah Lee. That is very good news. Close to my heart. Looking forward to talking about that. Can't wait. Delicious. We will not eat any of their delicious goodies while recording the <laughs> podcast, but immediately after, you'll never know. Topic one. Stop being silly. Topic one: shift workers and multiple jobs. So we had this study that we saw. Yep. Um, Across the desk. It's got a fair bit of press too. It did get a lot of press from deputies. So I was looking at data from last year, fair enough. And it said that basically, what's the percentage of shift workers doing more than one job? And it was the highest percentage they'd seen in 25 years. I'm not sure how long they'd be running it for. Probably about that, but really high <laughs> high percentage. Yep. Um, so to give you that, I sort of looked at it and went, how high is it? So hospitality, they saw 8% of workers surveyed had more than one job. Yep. Healthcare, 7. Retail industry, 6 but quite high. And their sort of thinking on it was that cost of living means people have to get out there, hustle, do multiple jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I think there's probably some truth in that. Um, we know people in those industries really, really well. I think both of us personally know family members in these industries, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, we know both individuals and we know organisations. So it's Correct. actually, we can see it from both sides, Correct. not to quote the great Joni Mitchell. Lo- love that though. <laughs> Bring her in anytime. Um, it sort of spoke to a few things. It said, okay, there's a high portion of Gen Z in there. Yeah. Kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, sort yeah. of historically been the case that younger folks go into some of these industries. Trying things, getting their life, working life organized, doing, et etc. Et doing stuff, right? But what about, we've seen this in data before and it's sort of a pattern holding the way we look at it too, right? So talk to us about Happy Worker Report and uh, everything else. Well, the Happy Worker Report that we did in, we um, partnered with Bankwest Curtin Economics Centre yep. um, using HILDA data, household um, income labour data, yes, which is the most reliable source of data for Australian work. Yeah. Uh, 2017-2018 Happy Worker Report, we did look at the fact that uh, portfolio work, mm. multiple jobs, as yep. it's called, um, was on the rise. And it was on the rise for people in the younger age group who are now uh, getting older. I mean, look at the ABS data on that. That group of people that are working in portfolio is actually also getting older, so it's going over 30 now. Yep. Which means, you know, we always, the, the reason was, oh, you need a couple of jobs, right? You need to just fill in, pay the rent. 
Yeah. But actually, if you're getting up to 30, usually people have sort of solidified a secure employment. So it's actually quite different. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think we've seen that data pattern happen. And in that original Hilda data, it was looking at like earlier stage, earlier life stage, you know, into the workforce, as you say. It was also into, there was quite a spike in the like older, a little bit more mature worker categories that yeah. said they're doing portfolio crews too. So that was interesting to me. The other one that I think is, well, I've been seemingly getting a lot of social media about is people beyond some of these industries working multiple jobs, but most of the media I'm seeing on that is out of the States, where it's like tech worker does two jobs remotely from around the world. And you go, some of that's marketing and whatever else. Um, some of that is pretty questionable behavior from individuals, sure. Yeah. Um, part is demand for skills, maybe, um, but I just think that whole concept is interesting. Yeah, I think it's this really rapid rethink, redesign of work, whatever you want to call that. So yeah. in the in the Happy Worker Report, mm. the portfolio career was one, but in perfect alignment with the move to a four-day working week. So people want to work differently. They want to work yeah. different patterns, shapes. Then you've got the casualization of large parts of the workforces specifically that you mentioned. I mean, that's been their strategy, hasn't it, hospitality? Yeah. Not to have a permanent workforce. And then COVID hit and they couldn't have a permanent yeah. workforce, so they had to rethink that. So redesigning, rethinking work, highly likely to continue... So the question is where it goes. Yeah. Because it is a battle of, on one side, if you go really to the extremes, yeah. the debate is, it's a search for freedom and choice. I don't want to be tied down. I want a side hustle. I want three jobs, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Maybe. And there are people in that category. Yeah. Certainly yeah, totally. in tech, that's true, because they can sell their skills in really easily. Yep. Uh, or not as easily as they used to, but certainly still well. And on the flip side of it is insecure work, meaning that lack of security, lack yep. of consistency of shifts and hours. They have to take a second or third job. Yeah. And we are still like with all of this, we're in a tight labor market. So if you think of the, you know, we're, yeah. um, I feel like we've been talking about that my entire working life. I don't know. It's always been a tight, I don't know what a loose labor market looks like, but I'm excited to see it one day maybe. But you go, okay, so there's heaps of, a lot of people employed, participation rate, obviously a bit different with how much you want to work and things, but okay. And so you can work more and people in these industries do have good agency which is like if you're cutting me out of shift patterns then i'll go find something else and i'm sort of batting off offers yeah, yeah. Um, the way i look at it so it's really interesting delicate balance and i'm yeah we'll be fascinated to keep watching it yeah and if you're an employer i think the trick is also not to get carried away by the headline today because it'll be someone who's done a you know random sample of 100 people i work with as yeah. opposed to here's the entire population yeah. or yeah. the global trends or something where you look for the academics and yep. they're a little bit slower to publish because they've got to go through all the rigor of that. But it's yep. not a bad thing. Yeah. ABS is very good data. So we can see where workforce yep. is moving. Yep. So if we start to look at that, we can say, okay, my workforce is going to be portfolio, is going to be part-time, is going to be this many days, and start to rethink how you want to make that work well yep. and be attractive for people so that you can keep really great people. Yeah. But looking for the data and being thoughtful and not just lurching between, you know, this week's conversation is four-day working week, next week's conversation yeah. portfolio, next week's conversation yeah. casualization. It's like they're actually the same. They're the same. They're different perspectives of the same same issue. Their re- work is redesigning and we need to be thoughtful on it. Don't swing too wildly based on the social media headline. What I'm hearing, I'm good with this. That's great. <laughs> I'm good with that Don't too. Don't just pause and yeah. see how the data, but certainly you look forward to the fact that this will be more and more portfolio work, more and more yep. casual work, um, plus or minus the new industrial relations laws and more and more four-day working weeks. Awesome. So that's a good start. So shift patterns, everything else, workforce, design, thinking about that, important for everyone, some key industries there. 
Second one we wanted to talk about was tension points. Yeah. <laughs> we love this because it yeah. is, when you look at culture um, mm-hmm. and through our work and the observations and things, this, as you're growing or scaling or building a company, even growing a really big one, yeah. um, and you're creating those enablement functions that you need to get more of these people or more of those people to help you do it, um, you have to look really carefully at how you do that. Yep. So as you said at the start, we've got four spectrums on it and ultimately we've got sort of good, aspirational, you want to be reaching these things and some that are kind of trickier patterns and yep. we say, how do you sit on those and where do you want to sit in effect? Yes. Okay, cool. What's the first one? So the, fir- the first one we looked at was, is the work enabling the organisation or controlling the organisation? So we've got a stack of laws and compliance regulation and stuff coming through at at speed all the time at the moment so you do need guardrails and controls good risk management but you also need to respond to new ideas and opportunities quickly so you've got this how do i enable people to move quickly how do i enable them to take an opportunity they've found how do i support them to do that but i need with the guardrails that are going to keep us safe um that's a really strong tension point it's a challenge to get that right Yep, so you want to be enabling but not totally freewheeling and you don't want to be controlled so you can't do anything at all. That's exactly so right. Really, yeah, interesting. Because if you slow it down and don't enable the new idea to come through, yep. it will be lost. Yep, and who knows, business dies. Like, okay, if we don't, <laughs> if we don't move forward and people do, if we don't move forward. Interesting. That's okay. exactly right. Second one, capability building versus dependence. Yeah, this is an interesting one, particularly yeah. scaling, because the deep expertise you need is rare and expensive. So you can't afford... 50 of them yep. <laughs> you can only afford one so do you employ that really deep expert that you need in whatever it happens to be yep. risk tax order whatever it happens to be yep. and do you sit them in a room as a helpline so people can just call in and they yep. just dole out advice all day or do you get them involved in teaching others yep. coaching and lifting capability because all those areas risk etc people culture etc they're all getting more and more complicated so your experts are learning all the time and moving forward too so you almost need them to be teaching others to do it rather than just being the helpline that everyone depends on so i hate to put humans and washing machines together but i'm going to try is ultimately (laughs) you're trying to make some sort of Of planned obsolescence for an expert in an organization as in they're there for a short time to lift and you know help a whole range of people in a key skill and maybe go to another organization is that good or or we're trying to keep them in there and constantly lifting or anything else well I think you lift them as well. Yeah. But if yeah. they don't lift, then they should be passing on their skills to the next group of people. Yeah, cool. Um, and then they probably do become obsolete if they yeah. don't keep up to date with the movement, rapid yeah. movement in their fields. Yeah, and so obsolete feels like a bad word for people, but I just mean in that organisational setting, not the individual, um, you know. What's a flag? Yeah. Like if, if you were an industrial relations expert which yep. neither of us are, so leaving that one. But no, if you were... I'm obsolete on that. And you were absolutely <laughs> an expert in 2015. Yep. You'd be out of date. That's like, right. there's been so much change. So you've really got to move your thinking and change forward. Yep. Um, and you could use any of the examples like that. Awesome. So that's... I love that one. Um, third one, solution creating or solutions creating versus solving problems reactively. Yeah. There's an addiction in some people because they sort of go, I get appreciated when I respond really quickly. So yeah. my really amazing serviceness, responsiveness, everybody thinks I'm great, I'm so quick, you know. Yeah. But actually it's that responsiveness to say that you don't have a moment to say that problem's actually recurring. So I could easily solve it quickly in the moment, 
But then you'll need to solve it again next week and next week yeah. and next week. So you get yeah. lots of pats on the back, like a Pavlovian dog. <laughs> oh, wow. We're, going, know, yeah. we're, covering, we're covering wild ground <laughs> today. No, I like it. <laughs> um, but if you, if you need to actually find a solution that's sustainable for a few problems. So you think, actually, I've seen this problem now four times. Yeah. So I should find a solution that's better than quickly fixing all the time. Yeah. And then you sort of should be rewarded because that solution is readily available to people and quickly yeah. applied yeah. as opposed to you're very clever at responding very quickly. And there's a pathway between these two that's sort of pragmatic, right? So like I'm, I'm just thinking in this one about firefighters. Yeah. Sounds weird. But right. a firefighter, we need them for, we need them to solve problems reactively. Yeah. But also they get out there and create solutions to try and minimize the reactivity like um, hazard reduction burning and things like yeah, that back burning etc back burning yeah, etc so you go okay you need attention there and you need pragmatism to say you can't only create new ideas and do that all the time yeah in majority of jobs few you can and you can't only be reactive for the majority of jobs you need to probably navigate between these yeah so it is a tension point right because yeah. what if you need to do that one what trumps what how does I, it work I can't fight your fire for you today because I'm out there back but exactly right but actually there might be a fire today so what do you do like, yeah. yeah it's a whole so you're trying to balance all the time so whenever you get this moment when there's not a lot of fire you yep. can go and do the other things but that building sustainable solutions is very very important we're on wild sort of analogy today we've covered firefighters washing, washing machines and Pavlov <laughs> see what else we can do I reckon we got room we still got room fourth one that we spoke about is sort of complex bespoke needs versus scalability so like you say that sort of one out or how do you keep creating something that's self-sustaining yeah and, and this, this is again related to a great opportunity so i might come up with a really great business opportunity go, oh my yep. goodness this is exactly what we need to do and it's going to require three tech people two marketing people a great sales team blah 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 and that's my idea okay and next week i come up with another one now i need another three tech for another and, that. and so you've actually got this problem that every time someone finds an opportunity you could ha- need a lot of resources a lot of finance people a lot of tax yeah. people a lot of marketing people a lot of tech people behind it I love tax people it's good they're all fantastic <laughs> they're actually great <laughs> they're all great I'm glad it's not me but yeah but they're very expensive and so yeah. if you had to rebuild teams all the time you're trying to be opportunity if that opportunity is scalable so those people can be grow with it or yeah. not have let, have the same number of people doing more opportunities mm-hmm. But if you've got to rebuild them behind every single opportunity, you end up with incredibly big support teams. And incredibly big support teams feel like bureaucracy. They feel like they're stopping you from moving quickly. Totally agree. And so a whole range of things in that, but basically culture, mindset, capabilities needed. It's sort of an ongoing feast and you need to be talking about these topics and finding the right tension point or way to navigate it. Absolutely. And even having the conversation about where you're up to on each of the tension points and where you'd like to get to means that as you're bringing people in, you're getting them in the right mindset to do the things you need to do. Like you're not, when you're bringing in that expert, you're not saying we're going to expect you just to answer questions all day. You're the guru. Yeah. But actually you're saying, we actually want you to teach. Yeah. We want you to show others how to do what you do. Yeah. And you can then get smarter at what's next for you. Yeah. In your field. Um, But, our team will be smarter. You're lifting the capability of the whole organisation. Very different mindset than being everyone comes to me because I'm the smartest person in the room sort of mindset. Love it. And I feel like that is a good landing to go to the good news, which is Sarah Lee. It- and I can, talk about, <laughs> I can talk about chocolate cake after school and how iconic it is and everything else. 
Um, what was your favourite Cerealy product? Custard Danish. Yum. I heard about it just before. And it's if very... you haven't explored it, you definitely should. Definitely um, should. But talk, talk to us about Cerealy. Well, it has a special place in my heart because I went all around the world with them. So I went into Asia, across to Europe, across to America, into the head office. It's actually named after a real woman. Did you know that? There's a real woman called Sarah Lee. Awesome. She used to come in a big spotted dress to the annual general meeting. But anyway. That is very cool. It's very, like she that. was very funny. Yeah, it was very, very sweet. Um, but they're actually, they were a massive holding company. 155,000 people across 16 countries. Biggest clothing company in the world, which no one ever knew. And you would know them through King G, Champion, Haynes, all of that stuff behind Michael Jordan, etc. Lots of the underwear companies, Form Fit mm. Kaiser, even Wonderbra. Remember the really offensive Wonder Bra ads that everyone used to get? Mm-hmm. I do, yeah. Their knickers are not about, so to speak. Um, nice. That, that was nice. There. <laughs> Very nice. You, it wasn't you. lost on me. Yep. <laughs> and one of the biggest coffee companies, biggest in the Netherlands, um, growers for a few years with them. Mm-hmm. And Household and Body Care, massive as well. So Kiwi, Radox, across in America, you've got Jimmy Dean Hot Dogs. You would know them from when you're in um, New York. Love hot dogs. And Wonder Bread, even. Remember the white oh, bread with fiber? I do remember Wonder Bread. Okay, wow. <laughs> All of them, Sarah Lee. But the Australian Baked Goods Company yeah. was the winner. It's the one all Australians know. Delicious. Yeah. As you said, everyone has a favourite. Um, if they didn't choose Custard Danish, it's probably wrong, but they still yeah. had their favourite. Yeah, and ultimately, <laughs> the good news is, you know, we heard the sort of, like, unfortunately, another kind of scary story about an iconic Australian business struggling yeah. for a moment in time for a range of reasons, and the Quinn family have uh, bought it and are now looking to keep it running and doing a great job and hopefully growing um and they did something similar with daryl lee yeah sure there's many differences but as in and they're interesting aren't they because we we do have these families we have the big famous families who read about the paper every day and often quite scandalously but this family is like clark quinn and brooke quinn yep and clark is the son of vip pet food owner tony quinn yep and so clark and brooke purchased daryl lee in 2011 for 11 million Mm mm-hmm in receivership, yep. on yep. its knees. I was yep. very fearful that the Christmas pudding oh would go, yep. but they saved it and sold yep. it very healthily for $200 million in t- 2018. Yep. So now they're going to keep Sarah Lee going and thriving for years to come, and hopefully they'll do the same sort of turnaround that they did with the first one. Absolutely. Great Aussies running Long great live businesses. The yeah, let's go. <laughs> Sarah Lee. Awesome. Um, that's that's a wrap from us. Amoi. Um as we always say, keep listening to us. We always joke about that, but please do. Um, to yourselves and your intuition and to those around you so that work is a better place. Thanks, James.